Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number 22 of Genesis chapter 8. We're going to be reading beginning in verse 15. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth, after their kinds, went forth out of the ark. I'll stop reading there. Now, in our last study, we were looking at the word go forth, or bring forth. It's it's used four times in verses 16 through 19 of Genesis 8. God commanded Noah and his family, go forth of the ark. God also commanded all the animals to go forth or to be brought forth. And so we have a command to people and a command to the creatures, the animals. And then in verse 18, we read Noah and his family went forth. And verse 19, the animals went forth out of the ark. So the command is given in verses 16 and 17 to go forth to both man and beast. And then in verse 18 and verses 18 and 19, the command is carried out and they went forth. And we saw how this ties in very well with the language of the resurrection of Lazarus, as we read in John chapter 11, verse 43, And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus saith unto them, Loose him and let him go. And we see the same thing. The command, Lazarus, come forth. And in the next verse, he that was dead came forth. There's a response. An obedient act in following the command that's given. Just as with all the people and animals that are commanded to come out of the ark, to leave the ark, And then we're told they did. They obeyed. And the connection is that the historical setting of what we're reading in Genesis 8 in the time after the flood, when the ground has dried, and finally when it's time for all who were saved from the flood to leave the ark 
and to enter into the newly dried earth. That is a picture. It's a transition point that pictures spiritually the end of the world when God's prolonged judgment, which we find ourselves currently in, will conclude and and the wrath of God will be gone and then there will be a transition for God's people from this world to the next. Just as Lazarus was dead in the tomb, the command to come forth brought him to life. And the transition from this world to the next is really a transition from death to life, whether it be the bodies of the elect in heaven who are in the ground, those bodies are dead, or the bodies of God's elect that are physically alive, yet our bodies have the sentence of death in them, and and they must be transformed. So we will be brought to life of the resurrection. And additionally, the animals, especially the not clean animals on board the ark, represent the creation. The creation that God has also given promises to. And, and God has said that the creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption and the creation will be brought forth, transformed in that time of transition into a new creation. And the picture is, um, just as with man, we're new creatures. We're, we're fully saved. Our salvation is complete. And likewise with the creation. It's delivered. It is saved from the curse that was pronounced upon it. The curse that caused it to groan and, and all of God's people groaning together with it. Well, that, that's the picture. Now the Greek word that's translated as come forth or came forth here in John 11 is 1831 in Strong's Greek Concordance. And it's the same word we find in Matthew chapter 27. In Matthew 27, I'll start reading in verse 52. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves. Came out of, is they went forth, or came forth out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. So we do see that this word, as it's used with Lazarus and as it's used here in Matthew 27, um, can have identification with the resurrection, with the coming forth into new life. And that's exactly how God is using it in the spiritual context of Genesis chapter 8, when finally... After 370 days, the completeness of the judgment has passed, and now it's time to go forth. You go forth out of the ark. And it is a a wonderful picture of God's people leaving this world behind, leaving their bodies behind, and 
leaving the old creation behind and entering into the new creation in newly resurrected spiritual bodies. Well, in verse 17, then, if that's the picture, we have, we have um, some questions. Uh, it says, back in Genesis 8, verse 17, Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle, and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth, and be fruitful, and multiply upon the earth. Now, obviously, there's no difficulty whatsoever in the historical context. This is exactly what God intended. Um, the, the human beings, the eight souls, were to come out, and they were to multiply, replenish the earth. The animals were to come forth. Likewise, they were to multiply, replenish the earth. And so the language here, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth, it could, in verse 17, since verse 17 is dealing with the animals, it could uh, perhaps just apply to them. And in in the new creation... As God transforms this earth, and, well, that that's the language he's using of creating anew, but really he's going to destroy every last particle of this creation. It'll be gone forevermore, burned up, and, and so will the cats and the dogs and the rams and, and the goats and the pigs and the horses and every other creature that God has made will be gone forever. But, in the picture God is using of um, creation being delivered from bondage and and created anew, it, it's as though the animals and the trees and the rocks and the streams and everything are just um, made in a, a better form. They're they're perfected. The curse is removed. But in reality. It's a completely new creation, a new heaven and a new earth, and we don't know anything about it. Um, it may be that God creates creatures, just as he created creatures for this world to fill the earth, to fill the seas of this world. There's a wide spectrum of creation, all kinds of creatures um, large creatures, small creatures, creatures we, we cannot even see with our eyes. They're, they're so tiny and uh, just, just an enormous array of created, uh, animals and, and, and things that God has made that really do testify. It, it's strong evidence to the unlimited ability of God to create. Just the wide spectrum of various creatures God has created to inhabit this world. It, even today, the scientists are, are still discovering a creature from the deep that they've never seen before. And it, it's just amazing. You know, the Lord's brilliance in creation is um it, it it's unending it it the wonders that he has designed that we have been privileged to 
uh, see and 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 to see the glory of God uh, in the heavens above and in the sea beneath and all over the earth. And and again, it testifies to the power and to the brilliant mind of God that he can certainly create another world with vastly different creatures that will be uh, creatures that are perfectly suited for the new creation, a perfect creation, and they will be perhaps similar to animals or insects or or fish or, uh, you know, things we identify with this creation. In, in a sense, they're on the animal level. They're not on man's level created in the image of God, nor will they be on redeemed man's level, uh, man in his uh, super uh, wonderful state of possessing resurrected bodies. Uh, they, they would be a, a lower life form of some kind, not in God's image, yet God is not limited. He hasn't run out of ideas concerning creatures he can and may create. It's certainly possible for God to um, populate a new world with even more creatures than we have in this world. Uh, creatures that fly, creatures that go under the sea, or creatures that do things, uh, again, suited to a new environment we know nothing of. Uh, we, we think of flying and floating or, or swimming in the sea. Uh, uh, you know, where our minds are geared towards this creation. Well, the, the new heaven and new earth may not have a sea. It, it may not have a sky. We, we have no idea of what that world will be, and of what types of creatures will inhabit it. All we know, it will be perfect, good, and so will all the creation. Whatever whatever creatures that God designs and creates to uh, inhabit that creation will be perfectly good as everything. And and so it's possible as these animals are brought forth off the ark and they're commanded to breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth, that in the new creation, those animals, again, which will be very different from whatever animals were on board the ark, and they may not even be called animals, but those creatures, whatever they are, will have an ability to multiply. They they could breed, perhaps, and multiply and fill the new earth. That That's one possibility for what God is saying here. But, you see, the same statement that is given to the animals is really given to man also, and, and the proof of that is in the next chapter, in Genesis 9, um, it, it says in verse 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And you, be ye fruitful, and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth, and multiply therein. So God is certainly giving a renewal of the command that actually goes back to the creation of Adam and Eve, 
back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and and so forth. So, um, this is a reissuing of the command, because the historical circumstances call for it. There was a need at the original creation for God to give direction this is what I want my creatures to do. And, and of course, you know, none of the animal kingdom have any difficulty with obeying, with submitting to the Creator's desire, His command to procreate, to multiply, be fruitful. It's only mankind. And really, why is that? Why is it only mankind that seeks to um, not be fruitful on occasion, seeks not to multiply, seeks to delay it or put it off altogether, and 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 does not um, want children, and and in our day um, takes contraceptives, or or if man or woman is fruitful, is with child, they even terminate the pregnancy. And and it, it's just a, a terrible act of rebellion against God, against the Creator, who from the beginning created man and commanded him to um, be fruitful, to multiply. And that command is to be obeyed on the physical level in the world. As far as physically bringing forth children goes, it, it is a command that was renewed after the flood with Noah and his family. It, it was um, declared once again by God, and it's a command that has never been rescinded. God has never said, well, be fruitful and multiply until you reach seven billion people or or." Eight billion, or or seven and a half, whatever it is today, God never said, "Be fruitful and multiply until your particular nation um, has reached a certain number of inhabitants." And and you you look around and you realize, well, we can't keep this up because we won't have enough food or or resources. And you know, nations, some nations today think that way, and. Uh, it is not a command that is given to families where a family looks around. They do the exact same thing that a nation does. And they look at their resources, their finances, and they say, well, we have one child, we can't afford two. We have four children, we better stop there. We can't have five. And no, the, that kind of thinking is contrary to the Bible. It goes against God's law in the Bible. God tells man, this is a directive right from him. And I know men like to think, people like to think they're much wiser than God. They uh, will uh, look at their situation and they will 
apply their own wisdom and and they will make the determination that I need to wait until I graduate, until I get a good job, until this, until I make a certain amount of money, until that, and and so forth. And all of that thinking is against the command of God. It's all contrary. The true child of God desires to do the will of God. And so we leave it in his hands. We know he is wiser than we are. We know that we're not um, to usurp authority. We're, we're not to think we're a special case or circumstance. And our family is different. And if God knew our situation, he wouldn't tell us that. Well, that's not true. God knows everyone's situation. God knows everyone, every human being. And, and he knows the pressures and the difficulties and, and, and maybe the lack of resources or lack of money that some people have. Yet the command stands and remains. Be fruitful and multiply. The child of God, the, the believer in the marriage is, first of all, there should not be sexual relations outside of marriage. And, and so without sexual relation outside of marriage, there would be no children outside of marriage. And it's only man and woman's sin that gets them into trouble in that area. And if we listen to God in that, then within the marriage, we leave it in God's hands. We do not try and prevent pregnancy. We do not, certainly not, try to end pregnancy once it's occurred. What the child of God does, we submit to God. God is in complete control. If it's not the Lord's will to bless um, a family with a child, they will not have a child. Some families try and try, and they cannot have a child. And if it is the Lord's will, then... He'll bless them with one or maybe ten or whatever number. That's God's will. That That's his department. That's under his control, not ours. It's just not our area that we should intermental with. It, it, it is beyond us when, when we see commands like this, be fruitful and multiply. Oh, someone might say, now hold on, that had to do with, um, yes, after the flood and all throughout history, I agree with you, but that's when God was saving people. That's when God was saving people. But it, It's for sure now in the day of judgment when he's no longer saving people that when the door of heaven is shut that he would not want his elect people to bear children to bring children into the world when when the door of heaven is closed and he's not actively saving. Again, that kind of thinking is not found in the Bible. That thinking is involving ourselves in matters that are not our concern. God nowhere says, bear children except during the Great Tribulation. Bear children except... When you find yourselves alive and present on the earth through the day of judgment, we don't read any such um, exception clauses for the bearing of children. Well, what is a believer to do? 
were to continue to leave it in the wise hands of Almighty God. And, and if he gives us a child in the day of judgment, well, that's coming from him. He's the one who must um, create life. And uh, he's the one who conceives a child in the womb. And he's the one who preserves it and protects it until it comes forth alive and is born into the world. That's all God's business. But what about this matter of salvation? Parents continue, according to the Bible, those commands of the Bible to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. They've not expired. We would read the Bible and pray for the child. We we could pray, Oh, Father, may this cup, the cup of wrath, pass from off this child. And we can pray that prayer fervently as the Lord Jesus Christ prayed in the garden. Father, may this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will but thine be done. And And so a believer, a, a believing father, a believing mother, who want to do God's will, are blessed with a child, and and they they continue to beseech God. And, and I'm sure that a father and mother today who would bring forth a baby into uh, this time period, uh, in, into these days after the tribulation, would find themselves praying for the child even more than any other child. They, they would be constantly beseeching God that the Lord would uh, consider their child, that the cup might pass, and, and praying for every good thing they can, they can think of that God might bless the child with. And that's what the Bible, that's what God would have his people to do. And to leave the salvation of the baby in God's hands and under his control, as really has always been the case. It, it, you know, there's been plenty of believing parents down throughout history, mother and father, or maybe just one mother who was the believer or one father, who had unsaved children, only they, due to the time and the season, they they did live with some hope and expectation that God might save them, and so they prayed and prayed and prayed, and yet God never did save their children. So they lived uh, beseeching God maybe for 20, 30 years for their child, and and you ask them, you ask them, was it worth it? Having a child that never became saved, was it worth it? Would would you not want that child? Wouldn't it be better if you never had the child? And there's not a mother or father who's worthy of the name mother or father who would say, oh, oh, oh uh, who would agree that they didn't want the child. Each one would say, you know, it was a blessing. It was a blessing to have that baby, to have my son, to have my daughter. And even though apparently it was never God's will to save him or her, yet I love my son, I love my daughter, I love my baby. And, you know, I I, I prayed and prayed and prayed 
but God's perfect will be done. See, has it changed? Has that mindset or that attitude really changed? No. We can still pray. We can still bring the Bible to any baby born today and beseech God on that child's behalf and leave salvation with the Lord, leave God's perfect will with the perfect God. And and we should not intermeddle with it and, and think, oh, Oh, we'll, we'll make a decision now. We won't have any children because we know better. We know the circumstances that are horrible today. And, and so in our wisdom, we won't bring a child into it. That, that kind of thinking is not to enter into a believer's mind. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.